0: A few weeks ago, that I was embarking on a series of messages that were more topical than based on any one book, with the common theme or the title of the series being In Christ Alone. I wanted to review a number of significant, most of them will not be unknown or unfamiliar texts, but the great texts, you might say that tell us about Christ and his coming to us, not only through December, but on into January. Today I'm doing something a little differently that I'll explain to you in a few minutes, but first I read from Galatians and also Hebrews chapter 1. Paul writing in Galatians 4, just these two verses, verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, Born under the law to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And then several verses in the opening of Hebrews. We do not know the author's name, but we know this was linked directly to and came from the circle of the apostles. Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is the word of God. I intend this morning to take my time allotted for a sermon and do something different. I think you know that 98% of the time I practice what you would call expository preaching, which means taking a, a text of Scripture, either a short few verses or a longer paragraph, and mining, in a sense, what's in that Scripture, what is God saying there that is to us Today I could be accused and plead guilty if you said, well, you just took two passages and you're using them as a springboard or a launch pad to go in other directions. I plead guilty. This is a rare topical sermon in which I'm more concerned with the applications for what we have than I am so much for developing the words or the particular message of a verse or two. I start with these two texts because they both view the coming into flesh or incarnation, that means coming into our human life by Jesus Christ, as a remarkable development in world history. Both texts tell us that in slightly different ways. Galatians said that it was the fullness of time, that is, in the judgment of God, it was ripe, it was time for Christ to come, and there were particular things that God intended to accomplish from that time Forward that he had not done up until that time. So the incarnation of Christ was like a dividing line drawn through history where all new things would be coming to pass. Well, we could say that that gives us rise to talk about something that's pretty familiar to many of you when we describe history or we give a date and we say it was so many years B.C., before Christ, And then all things after that are called A.D., Anno Domini, Year of Our Lord. Although you may know that secular historians have rather deliberately interrupted that in this day and age and no longer say A.D. because it's too much of a Christ statement. So they say, this is the year 2018 C.E., Common Era. We reject that. It is the year of our Lord, 2018. And, you know, they figure that out, it's really interesting to me that the Romans did so many good things in their culture, in their civilization, but they weren't so great with math, as a matter of fact, because we know that uh, the date is incorrect when we say 2018 because Jesus Christ was not born in the year zero or the year one. The best guess of his birth date is actually 6 BC, and uh, if you wonder what happened there, The Romans just weren't so good at math when they set the calendar, that's all. But we see the Scriptures saying to us now, Hebrews 1, 1 to 3 there, divides all human history as if it could be put into two great epochs. There is the time before Christ came, which Hebrews calls the time of our forefathers, when the prophets spoke, and now the time when Christ has spoken and continues to speak in a living way. God is treating things differently through his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. My premise is very simple. Those two passages conceived together, uh, to me, give us a springboard to say, well, what is it that's so different that in this time that has come to pass that God judged to be a, a fruitful or a ripe time in history to send his son? How is our entire existence on earth different Because Christ has come. What if he had not come? What if Christ had never come at all? How would the world be different? Well, I'm sure nearly everyone here knows the familiar plot line of a Christmas movie that is almost so archetypal that uh, we don't even want to talk about it. It's a Wonderful Life. I'll talk about it. It's one of my favorite all-time movies. I watch it in black and white because that's how it was originally made. And I love Jimmy Stewart. He's my favorite Hollywood actor. Every year, my wife and I decorate our artificial tree. i was stunned to find out that the seniors' community that I live in doesn't allow live trees, but we don't have one anyway, so it's all right. We decorate our tree, which we did the other day, with a DVD of Jimmy Stewart, and it's a wonderful life playing. We've done that every year for a long time. My kids think their father is a hopeless sentimentalist, and I am. And it usually seems like the time that the movie plays is just about long enough to get the tree decorated, get all those light strings untangled, and get them where they belong and everything else, so that I can sit down at the end and cry, which I do every time, I confess. A wonderful movie. If you're not familiar with it, you really should watch it. You know the story it's Jimmy Stewart, small town business leader who wanted to go out and conquer the world as an engineer doing big projects, but he never got to do it. And he had to stay in Bedford Falls, a little town, and help other people and take over dad's business when his father died and so on. And he's always felt trapped, like his life didn't take the path he wanted it to. And he comes to a circumstance, which I won't go into That if you don't know it. On Christmas Eve, he's in desperate shape He could lose his business. He could even go to jail through something that is not at all his fault. And he's thinking to himself, I wish I'd never been born at all. Well, along comes someone, a very unlikely guardian angel, to show him what the world would be if he'd never been born at all. That's actually the premise I'm looking at today. What if we look at Scripture and the opportune coming of Christ and said, he never came? What would our world be like? I'm not just talking about the fact that we lose the opportunity of eternal salvation by the cross and resurrection, that taken for granted. But in other ways, what would our world be if Christ never came? Let me try to spin it out for you a little bit. First of all, if Christ never came, there is no United States of America. You don't live in a country called United States of America. That's easy to surmise because the continent we live on was fought over in the 1700s by at least four different nations. Russia wanted Alaska and the Northwest. The French and Spanish and British all wanted their peace of this continent. And you would think probably our land would have been divided up in some way to have four countries with each of those powers somehow ruling. And the reason we can say pretty sure that there would not have been a United States of America is that the government and the principles of our government that led us to people like the pilgrims and the founding fathers and bold patriots who were willing to fight a king that wouldn't allow our country to be represented in his taxation, all came from something called the Protestant Reformation. Now, I can claim that not as a Protestant alone, but as a historian. All the motivations, all the impetus of the principles that led to the founding of America and gave people rather vehement, strong motives to make it what it is, were Protestant things that came out of a biblical understanding of political theory in both Europe and in the United States. We needed to have those who were motivated like John Locke and Samuel Rutherford and even Thomas Jefferson, who wasn't much of a strong Christian himself, but he imbibed Christian principles, To give us the understanding of a government that Lincoln could call government of the people, by the people, and for the people, not of the king, and by the king, and for the king. And all those Puritans and Congregationalists and Quakers and Mennonites and Presbyterians that flowed across the North Atlantic to take great risks and endure real hardships to seek new lives on a continent. Where they would literally have to carve a life out of a wilderness, were embodied in the the personal liberty and motivation to be according to biblical principle and biblical liberty. They were free in Christ to begin with, and they saw no reason why they should not be free in self-government as well. No Reformation, no United States of America. That's an easy one, really. It can be documented very clearly. Secondly, if Christ never came into history, there's a very good chance that you, regardless of the color of your skin or your ethnicity, you might be living as a slave today, or you might own slaves. The world of pre-1600s was a world where slavery was growing by leaps and bounds. There were many, many powerless people who had no ability to decide upon careers or how their lives would be situated, and someone with an an ounce of power or a bit of money came along and said, we need your labor, and we're not asking you whether you want to give it or not. We own you, and you will give it. And that was a growing thing, as you well know, a very divisive thing. And even in our country that had an early Christian, at least nominal Christian, voice and and attitude. It took a long time and a hard struggle, didn't it, to get rid of slavery. It took 200 years. It took a bloody civil war. It took William Wilberforce in England wearing himself out. It took Lincoln undertaking unpopular steps politically. And even after these brave things were done, it was not easy to push back slavery and human bondage in our country but we did. Thirdly, if Christ never came, I hope you won't imagine that you'll be able to easily obtain an education. The opportunity to be educated would be very small without Christianity. Go all the way back to the Dark Ages, so-called, in Europe, when it was the monasteries that preserved classic documents from the vandals' raging burnings of libraries throughout Europe and the Mediterranean that great learning was disappearing because of the lawlessness of men. But some, and they were nearly all Christians, preserved great things to be learned and founded universities. There were only about 80 universities by the time of the Reformation. Every one of them, places like Oxford and Cambridge and the University of Paris, had a theological foundation to them and carried forward at least based on general Christian principles. Try it in America and find out how many universities and colleges you would have without Christianity. Every single one of the so-called Ivy League schools was founded by Christians to train ministers. Go and check out some of the inscribed in stone mottos over the doorways at Harvard and Yale and Princeton and other notable places, even Columbia, which was once called the King's College, founded by Christian ministers to advance the glory of God. And speaking of knowledge, in the fourth place, if Christ had never come, science and eventually technology would have made very few notable advances. Make a study sometime of the early origins of science if you're interested in the field, You don't find many people acknowledging this anymore. I guess they think we're too far beyond these things, but check out some of the names like Copernicus, Kepler, Galileo, William Harvey, Isaac Newton, Francis Bacon, Blaise Pascal, Michael Faraday, Gregor Mendel, and I could go on and on. And you will find individuals who to a man were theists. They believed in a universe centered upon God as creator, presupposing that it was his power that put things in order and created the principles by which things like gravity and the tides and the movement of the planets and so on could be understood and observed as being regular and, and dependable and reliable. These men observed and experimented and invented and theorized from the basis of a firm belief in a creator God. They would have believed Colossians one seventeen as we looked at that a few weeks ago, that in Christ all things hold together. They certainly did not believe in the utter absurdity of a random chaos universe somehow through a big bang just coming into being and voila, computers. Didn't work that way, folks. Out of the Reformation days, there came a renewed quest for knowledge building on the ancient medieval theories of people like Aristotle, the Greek. And this was not seen in other than Christian lands. True science in its early days was a quest to understand the universe, and some of those who were doing it said what they were, saw themselves doing was thinking God's thoughts after him, tracing the patterns of what God had put in his creation. It all began from a Christian base, folks. And there was no belief that science and Scripture had to clash. They don't. They look at things and interpret things differently, but they do not fundamentally disagree. And from science with a Christian base today, of course, we've gone through many, many changes to where we now have rockets and robots and plastics and antibiotics and cell phones and heart transplants things that Reformation people could not have dreamed of. But it all had a beginning in biblical understandings of a creator God who has every single molecule at all times dancing to his tune. A fifth point is related. I want to say it to you this way. If Christ never came, I hope you don't plan on getting sick because you've got a problem. There are no hospitals. Trace the history of the development of hospitals in our Western world, and you will find a great upsurge happening around 325 AD, which was following the Council of Nicaea, when the bishops there consulted about problems they needed to solve, and one of the many things they thought about and and exhorted each other about was the need to care for the sick and the dying. And you can see a chart of hospital development. All of a sudden, it takes a big spike around 400 AD as these bishops and other religious folks with a Christian foundation went out and founded. Of course, they started small. But many historic hospitals came out of that period of time as the Christian church began to say, we have to help people with their physical health. And by the way, if Jesus never came... I hope you don't experience a disaster. I hope you don't have a flood or a hurricane or a fire or something for which you would normally call the Red Cross or the Salvation Army because they don't exist, not without Christianity. And I can tell you too, it's it's a notable fact that many have remarked upon that Islam does not produce anything the equivalent of our emergency aid organizations that originally had. A Christian base. In Roman culture, life was cheap in the early centuries. Still up into the time of the New Testament, abortion was widely practiced in Rome. People wanted sons, they didn't want daughters. Sorry ladies, I, was, I have nothing to do with it. And it was often, it was found in Roman culture that the disappointing daughter was born and she was taken out somewhere into the woods left to be exposed to the elements as the parent walked away and allowed the child to die. It was Christians who began to realize that Romans who were doing that could be followed and their infant picked up and taken to someone who would raise it and adopt it. And orphanages began as Christian societies. They almost did not exist prior to that. Point six, my last, if Christ never came... I ask you, what secular heart motivations or mind motivations would you think could match the production of Christian character and its influence through the Holy Spirit on so many gracious things done among humanity? Charitable giving, human compassion, telling the truth, practicing an ethical life, humility, good manners, thankfulness, Altruistic self sacrifice of any kind. Those virtues and values don't come naturally to human beings. It was the Sermon on the Mount that made people believe that Jesus called his disciples to live lives that were very different, very counter cultural. And without that, we would live in a kind of social jungle you would all be well advised to carry a concealed weapon because who knows, anybody on the street that wanted your money or wanted your wallet wouldn't have any problem assaulting you and taking what they wanted because it wouldn't have the restraining influence that Christianity, even in its most general practice, I'm not talking necessarily about evangelicals who have a pure theology, I'm talking about Those who have even the most generalized influence of Christianity are often restrained in various behaviors that they would otherwise commit. We have a large prison, I'm sure you're aware, in Lancaster. Go and view the rolls of razor wire down there on, I guess it's King Street. And it's full and it's overflowing. But stop and think, without the restraining influence of Christian behavior and Christian attitudes, I would say that every large township of Lancaster County would need an equivalent sized prison to house the population that it required. I often think about the ship Titanic as representing a kind of landmark in Western culture. You remember the Titanic, of course, great movie to watch. And uh, you remember how, of course, it went down and 2,000 people died and many, of course, were saved on lifeboats, but there were not anywhere near enough lifeboats for everyone. And this fact has always amazed me, that there was a universally accepted moral code that we could call chivalry still in practice in 1912. And what was that? But simply the idea that men in their strength ought to give way to women and help them and protect them and protect children. That code worked on the Titanic. Some exceptions, of course, near the end. But for the most part, men stood back on the deck of a ship tilted at 30 degrees. They knew the ship was going down. They knew the Atlantic was cold. And they knew they were going in. And they stood back, gentlemen of great wealth and power, some of them, Mr. Guggenheim and others, stood back, helped women into the boats, helped children into the boats, and sacrificed their lives. I ask myself if that Situation, not enough lightboats, the ships going down, happened in 2018. I wonder how many women would get pushed off the railings and children thrown into the sea so that the men could charge the lifeboats because I do not believe that code exists any longer. Christian influence, Christian restraint on sinful behavior is a powerful thing. Now, I've talked about six different points and I've illustrated only some of the changes Christianity has stamped upon the development of Western culture in America and Europe and other places where it is strong. I'm only getting warmed up. Do you have another half hour? I've got six or ten more points I could give you. you realize what a blighted, colorless, hellish world ours would be if Jesus Christ never came to influence our culture? Who among us would want to live in such a drab, dangerous, ugly, mean-spirited society that we would have for sure? We would be a planet without purpose or comfort or joy of any kind. And I've only been speaking about the social effects. Of course, there is also the spiritual darkness and the moral brutality that would make life without Christ unbearable. I haven't even gone there We talk about that all the time, so I'm leaving that one by the side today. But of course, if Christ had not come, we would still be in our sins. And that would be the worst disaster of all. But thanks be to God. Hebrews 1 reports it. God has spoken to us in these latter times through his Son. Christ has come into this cruel, licentious, immoral world, the radiance and the spotless innocence and goodness and righteousness of the Son of God has come. And he has left behind him people influenced in their character and in their actions that will continue to act as a restraining influence on many things in our society. I don't know how many of you know the name of a man who is a 19th century Christian character. If you're a literary person, you probably know the name of James Russell Lowell. He was a poet, I believe, and a a man of literature, but he also served in diplomatic positions so that he traveled and went to different cultures. He was in England and Europe and other places and observed other cultures. And here's what Lowell once wrote. I just stumbled on this this week. He said, I challenge any of Christianity's skeptics to find a 10 square mile spot on this planet where they know they could live their lives in peace and safety and decency, that would be a place where womanhood and infancy and old age would be honored and protected, a place where Christianity has not gone first to prepare the way. In other words, 10 square miles, if you find those protections there, it's because Christianity has been there. He said, if they can find such a place, I encourage them to emigrate there with haste and to raise high their flag of unbelief. Christianity is responsible for many positive things in our world and our culture that people today don't even realize and would not admit, despite what we see as the blighting of Christmas, the commercialism of Christmas the incultural swallowing up of Christmas. What Christmas means is Christ really has come. He really has. And he's come not only to save the souls of those who trust in him, but to redeem our society as well. Thanks be to God for a Savior who has come. Our Father, when we think of our world, We would not wish to be imperialists or unduly proud or biased in our view, but we are amazed when we see what the coming of your Son has meant in this world today. Will you use us as vessels of his life, vessels of his Holy Spirit, armed with a morality that the world does not understand, given a hope that the world cannot comprehend, Saved by grace that people think they can earn and we know they never can. Thank you for the Christ who has come. Amen.